want to do that by reading some scripture together. You know, here at Shelby Christian, we believe in the power of the word of God. And because of that, I found this prayer in Ephesians 3 that I think would, that I think is going to speak really well to where we're kind of going this morning as a church. So would you read this with me? When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be able to be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And I love this last part right here. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Would y'all sing with me? There is no shadow that has ever overcome your life. And there is no rival that ever stand against your might you've always been with us every battle you've already won you've already won and there is no weapon that has ever left a mark on you and there is no the power to conquer truth. You've always been with us. Every battle you've already won. You've already won. We believe this. Show me one thing you can't do. Show me a mountain you can't move. He's a God of the breakthrough and anything is possible.
folks have a seat. Hey, I'm glad that you guys are here today. And if you're watching online, we're so glad that you're with us uh, today. You know, some of the best things in life, in fact, all the best things in life happen together. I mean, the, the greatest moments, when you see a beautiful sunrise, isn't it better if you can share it with someone? When you get a promotion at work, isn't it better if there's someone for you to share the joy of that with? Even to the point when, when you're going through stuff, when you're going through hard stuff, isn't it better when you can go through it together? We're, we're getting ready to enter a, a time of year where we focus on this word a lot. In fact, two we, uh, two months from today, We'll be having our Christmas Eve services. It's hard to believe, isn't it? And for the last several years at Christmas Eve, we focused on Together, a Together initiative that allows us to make a difference here through our church and and allowing us to be able to send people from our church on mission trips, short-term mission trips, and uh, helping our uh, teenagers and student ministry be able to attend camp and other summer outings. And and we do it together in our community by helping out places like ALC and colleges within our region and Camp Calvary and other initiatives that we help fund through together. And we're together in the world as we help through our Together initiative, help people like Joe and Ashley Derry, Luke Dove, and many others that are around the world serving Jesus in a huge way. And the gifts that we give at Christmas during our Together initiative, we hope will fund, we would love it if they would fund our entire ministry budget for 2022 so that we can focus on other things and the missions part is taken care of. But when we come each week and we give, a portion of what we give each week goes into that as well, just to help make a difference together. We're doing it locally now, and God's opened up so many doors and been able to work together with our public schools and make an impact. And and so when we come to a time of giving, I I really pray that we remember that it's not one person writing a big check or making a huge donation. It's a body of Christ followers who are connected to each other and through our giving connected to a world of people that many of whom we probably will never meet until we get to heaven and to know that we make a difference and a part in that. Together is also important and the other thing that we're getting ready to do. See, that word communion can literally be translated coming together. It's a time each week in our service where we can focus on Christ and what he did And he did the very same thing for all of us. And so because of that, as we take the bread and the cup, we are in this together. It's one of my favorite things each week when we do this is because some weeks, let's just face it, some weeks are harder than others, aren't they? Some weeks I come in, even on weeks that I'm the one to preach, And to be completely honest, in my own self, I'd rather be any place in the world than standing up here 
because of the things that have gone on during the week. But then we take communion together. And I look around. I watch people come to the various communion stations. And I'm reminded that I'm not in this by myself. I hope you can be reminded of that today if this has been one of those kind of weeks for you. That there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture of what we're trying to do. And we're trying to do it together because when Jesus rose from the dead through his resurrection and the power he had over death that he passed on to us, he brought us all together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and for your care. God, we pray that as we give today and in the months to come as we give to our Together initiative that you would truly bless those efforts so that the people can be blessed around the world. And God, right now, right now as we share in a time of communion, God, would you remind us, would you remind us of how we don't have to face life alone. We can do it with brothers and sisters in Christ together. And we can do that because the amazing love that you showed by allowing Jesus to die for our sins. And bless this time. In his name we pray. Amen.
boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Yes, this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom.
There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, all you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. All you won't kick down, all you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't ride up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, all you won't tear down, coming after me. No you a question uh, as we get going here this morning. Um, would you describe yourself as a patient person? A lot of heads going this way already. I have a confession to make um, to you guys this morning. It's confession time right off the top here. I am not a patient person. I, I would say there are a couple areas where it really gets, my impatience really gets displayed. Uh, one's when I'm in the car. So if I've ever, if I've ever been driving around you, behind you, in front of you, uh, in town over the last 35 years, sorry. Because I struggle. And, and one looks at me sometimes, she's like, what is wrong with you? The light is red. They can't go anywhere. I'm like, oh, okay, I know. But like, I'm one of those people that like, if I'm second in line and you're like in, right in front of me and it's like, if it turns green and you hesitate, I'm like, what is wrong? Are you waiting for an invitation? You know, I'm that person, right? Another one is like waiting in lines. 
Like, they were talking on the radio a few weeks ago, and they were like, hey, what, you know, if there was this, you know, make-believe scenario where somebody, you know, you could be granted a a wish or or get a pass, and they say, here, this is yours, this is the one wish you get, and it's like this, you get this one thing, and it's, you get a free pass to the front of any line you ever encounter in your life. How much would you pay for that, or that kind of a scenario? And the guys on the radio were talking about it, and someone were like, you know, I hate waiting in lines. Maybe, maybe you're like that too, like Walmart, Kroger, at an amusement park, wherever, like, if I'm in a long line of people, I'm just like, I, I can't, I, I can't deal with this, right? And that's why I will pay twice the amount to get stuff on Amazon, you know, groceries, g- goods, whatever. If I can like get it shipped right to my house and not have to actually go to the store, this was like pre, pre-COVID. Like this was just like just how I am, right? Like I don't want to go and deal with that because of my impatience. And so I have to pray about that. I have to work at that. Maybe, maybe some of you guys can relate to that as well. We're in the, in the second week of this series uh, called We Ready, and we're looking at this ancient letter that Paul wrote to some Christians in Thessalonica. And one of the things that he he shares with them, we'll read it here in a second, is is they are they're ready. They're kind of like, hey, we we are ready for the coming, for the second coming, for Jesus to come back. And they're patiently waiting. But they're waiting in the middle of a world that's tumultuous. In the middle of a world that's turned upside down. In the middle of a world that's gone crazy and seems to be a godless place. I don't know, maybe that sounds familiar to you this morning. I want you to look at this passage of scripture. This is first Thessalonians. You go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at chapter two uh, here in a second, the second part of this letter. But here's what Paul wrote. Dave preached this last week. He said this, he said, you're looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. And so This small group of brand new Christians are waiting for Jesus' return. I I suspect that many of them thought that this was going to happen in their lifetime. That, that Paul was, was sharing with them what, what Jesus had done, who he was, what he'd said, that he was the Messiah, that he's the one that the, that the Old Testament, that the prophets talked about and the, and the, the scripture that they had there, that it represented and it, it spoke of. And I suppose that a lot of them were eagerly waiting, and maybe their patience was running out. Jesus, he he was here, and you're Paul. You're saying he's coming back. Yeah, he's coming back. Well, we can't wait for that. And so there's this eager anticipation for them there in this town of Thessalonica. And I want to kind of this morning as we get going with this, and we're going to, like I said, look at chapter 2 today. Dave set this up uh, last week, but I want to kind of continue on with this a little bit this morning. I really think it's important for us when we look at Scripture, especially like a, a letter like this that was written by a specific person, Paul, to a specific group of people, the Thessalonians in a city called Thessalonica in the first century, that we understand uh uh, the context in which they were living, right? So let, let, let's do that for a second. You'll see a, a picture, a, a, a map here, and it kind of show you exactly where Thessalonica was a port city in the northern part of Greece. It's on the coast. Uh, it was a really important city in, in the first century. There were a couple of Roman, the Romans, um, they 
controlled the whole world at this point, right? So the Roman Empire was in charge. Uh, three, uh, I, I wrote it down here. Yeah, 315 BC was when it was uh, established, right there on the Gulf of the Aegean Sea. You'll see this, right? And so there were these roads that went through, these Roman roads. The Romans used this city as an intersection. It was a thriving metropolis, a port city. So a lot of it was important for that, for ships and those things, for goods to come in. And so there were people that would travel all over that region and all over that part of the world, and they would land in Thessalonica. It was a, it's, it's, it was a large city. In fact, it still exists today. It's the second largest city uh, in Greece. Athens is the first. Thessalonica is the second. And you can actually go there and walk some of those st- same streets that Paul walked um, that we're talking about in this story today. But but it was important. There were a lot of people, like I said, that would come there. You'll see that there, there were Jewish people there. There were Greek people there. There were Romans there. There were people from all over the world that would come there. There was, in the first century, uh, in earlier than that, when Paul's there, there was about uh, 65,000 people in this walled city in Thessalonica. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of people today, but when you consider there were far less people like in the world, actually, back then, it was a large city. And so when Paul and Silas arrive there, when they're going around on this missionary journey to just speak about who Jesus is and what he's done and that they need to understand that he's the Messiah and that he's coming back, right? When they, when they get there, they encounter a, a world, a city, a place that is as far from the God of Israel as it could possibly be. Thessalonica was a place where there were a lot of uh, Greek and Roman gods. There were, uh, there were, there was a, a small Jewish population there. But Paul, for the very first time, is bringing Jesus, right, to these people. Think about the, the scenario that they walk into when they enter that city. There were, were Greeks who, 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 you know, maybe you studied this in school. We did in high school. We took a, a class called Greek mythology. And so we learned about Zeus and we learned about Atlas and we learned about Hermes and we learned about Aphrodite. You guys remember any of those things like Atlas? I remember that guy because he's the one that the Greek, they, they, they thought that like he held the, the earth, you know, on his back, right? So like they, they had come up with all these gods and goddesses and that's who they were worshiping. They had all these idols. It was a culture where people would just set up, they would have all these idols made and they would set them in their homes. And this is... The culture. This, they were worshiping these things. They were worshiping these all, all these crazy made up gods. And it was common for people to have many gods and to believe in many different, they would refer to it as the gods, right? The strange thing, the, the, the weird thing would be for someone to suggest that there's only one God. The, the thing that would get pushed back, that would say, you, you, you would almost be considered, um, an atheist if you said there's just one God. There, there are so many gods. We have a God for this and a God for this and we worship this and we worship that. And so when, when Paul and Silas roll in, Timothy, they roll into Thessalonica and they go to the synagogue, there's a lot that they're gonna have to butt up against. But before we get there, I want to take you guys back to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, here's the backstory of what happens. Because you can kind of pair Acts 17 with this letter. And it'll kind of give you some insight into what's going on here. A little more of the context of what we're studying in this letter. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 17. And you'll see how it connects 
with our story today. It says this, Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis, I've been working on that, that's really hard to say, and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica. There was a Jewish synagogue there, and as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue's service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. So let me stop there for a second. Obviously, when Paul would, would come into a, a city, that he would go to the Jewish synagogue, and he would start to talk. Hey, let's go there, because we, I know there's going to be people there. They understand the old, the, 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 old, the prophets and the Old Testament, the, the part of that, that they had at that point, and so he, he would go there and try to have these conversations, engage with the people in the synagogues, the Jewish people, um, about what he was about to share with them. And then look at verse 3. It says, he would explain to them the prophecies that prove that the Messiah must suffer and raise from the dead. He said, um, this Jesus that I'm telling you about is that Messiah, Paul would say. Some of the Jews who listened, who heard Paul's preaching and heard Paul's teaching, they were persuaded. And it says that they joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. And, and so Paul and Silas are successful. They, they've persuaded some folks to listen to their account of who Jesus is. And then look what, it, what it happens in verse 5. It says, But some of the Jews were jealous, and so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason. Must have been a really good guy, this Jason guy, right? They, they attacked this home of a guy named Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so that they could drag them out uh, to the crowd. And then in verse 6 it says, Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to any other king, for another king named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into a turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. And so, after that riot, <laughs> after that situation that Paul and Silas cause, because they are sharing with people, we've got a message. And here's the message. There is a Messiah, and he has come, and his name is Jesus. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the only God and the only King. Now, you can imagine in a culture where people worship many gods and have never heard about this Jesus character. And now you're saying there's another king? Like the Romans have told us that Caesar is the only king. And as long as we keep quiet and kind of worship our gods in our home, and as long as we play by the Romans' rules, like they leave us alone, you know, they don't bother us. As long as we pay homage to Caesar and recognize Caesar as king, everything's fine. And then Paul and Silas come along and say, see, that's not really how this is going to work with us. There's only one king. There's another king. He's a more powerful king, and his name's Jesus. And that gets them in a lot of trouble. And they, they get kicked out. They get run out of Thessalonica. And so as they leave Thessalonica in a hurry in the middle of this riot, they got to get out of there, right? Because things are getting 
hard. Things are, the heat has been turned up on them. They, they go to Berea, they go to Athens, they, they, they kind of go and, and, and kind of just hang out till things kind of cool down a little bit. They send Timothy, uh, Paul sends Timothy back to check on them because Paul's now concerned with them. These are people that he spent, it says that he was there for three Sabbath days, so three, four weeks at least, more than that, you know, maybe a couple months, maybe, you know, a, a significant amount of time Paul spent in Thessalonica with these folks, right, that have now converted to, to being Jesus followers. They become friends. He's developed relationships with them. And obviously this is, this is like this church that has begun in Thessalonica. And so now Paul and Silas have to leave and they're heartbroken. They're distraught because they had to leave in the middle of, of this turmoil, in the middle of this riot, and they were running for their lives. And so Paul's concerned about the small group of Christians there. He sends Timothy back to check on them. Paul, uh, Timothy comes back and he, and he says, Paul's concerned. He, he thinks, well, this will end it. They're going to get scared. They're going to run off. They're going to go back to their old ways. They're going to look at this and go, this is too hard. This is too dangerous. If we, if we follow you down this path, Paul and Silas, we're, we're going to, we're going to end up dead. And so, so, so Paul thought, well, this was probably the end of that little group of, of Christians. Timothy goes and visits them and realizes, no, not only have, are they surviving this, not only are they holding strong, but they're thriving. Like not only are they like, okay, we're going to, we're going to continue to follow Jesus. We're going to continue to investigate this. We're going to continue to kind of figure this out. Timothy comes back to Paul and says, Hey, they're doing well. It's surprising, but they're doing well. They, they, they believe what we shared with them. They believe in Jesus. They're following Jesus to the best of their ability in their circumstances in this crazy city, but they're doing okay, Paul. They're doing really well. And so in light of that, Paul writes this letter. In the first part of the letter, out of the first three chapters, what he wants to do is he wants to just continue to celebrate their faithfulness in the middle of persecution. He wants to say, hey, you guys are doing awesome. Well done. I'm so glad to hear the report back that things are going well for you guys. In the middle of tough times, in the middle of a culture, right, that is, that is godless, at least it doesn't recognize the God of Israel. At least it's not hearing. It doesn't want anything to do with this Jesus that we're talking about and that we're preaching. But you guys are holding strong. And so Paul wanted to celebrate that with him. And so he writes this letter. And the first three chapters are really about that. Chapters 4 and 5, which we'll get into at the end of this series, he's challenging them to continue on, to continue to grow, to continue to take those next steps. Keep going. You guys are doing great. But you're going to have to keep going in the middle because it's not, it's hard now and it's going to get harder. Because I suspect that Paul knew for his life, for Silas, for Timothy, for, for some of those martyrs that he'd seen in Jerusalem earlier on, Stephen and those guys, he knew that, that for a lot of them, this is probably going to end with, with your death. And so if you're not bought into this, if you don't understand how important this is and who Jesus is, then you're going to fall away. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage them and to ask them to keep going. And it's a powerful, a powerful letter that we have in our, our scriptures today. I want you to think for a second about what those people must have been going through that lived there in this city, in Thessalonica. They lived in a culture that worshiped like I said, many gods and had many idols. Their institutions and their practices, they honored these Greek and these Roman gods, and and there was no room. There wasn't any room for another god. 
There wasn't any room for a message that said, hey, you need to put all that stuff to the side because there's a true, there's a real God, the God of creation, the God that created it all. Right? And there wasn't room for that. They, they were, they were being asked to, to move away from the lifestyle that they'd always known, the only thing that they'd always known, and to transfer their allegiance to the God of Israel and the King Jesus that was gonna cost them almost certainly everything. And think about their relationships. These weren't bad people, right? They, they grew up in a city where this is our religion. These are our institutions. This is how we do things. This is how our neighbors do things. This is how my parents did things. This is how my great, my grandparents and my great grandparents did things. And so they were raised in a culture and this is it. And to walk away from that, right? To, to say, I'm going to reject those old gods and that old way of life. And I'm going to look at you guys and go, that's, that's not the way I want to live my life anymore. I want to go over here and follow, follow what this Paul guy's preaching because he's preaching about a, a guy named Jesus. And I think that might be, I think he may be onto something. This, this is lining up with the Old Testament. If you go and look at the Old Testament, like, like you look at these, these ancient passages of scripture, like this is lining up. And, and I think that Messiah that they were referring to, I think that, I think that's Jesus. And so when they started putting two and two together and going, I, th- I think they're onto something. And I think we've been wrong. Think about what they were rejecting. Think about the, the neighbors that probably were like, all right, all right, telling their kids, don't hang out with those people anymore, right? They're crazy. They've gone off the deep end. They're, they're following this, this new fangled religion that just seems just so drastic and radical. Look, we're, we're not going to associate with them anymore. You're not allowed to hang out with them anymore. Those kind of things, right? Family members that will look at their, their, their children and go, you're, you're going to, you're doing what? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, forsake all of this and go do that? It it was probably something that they experienced with this hostility and and, and this isolation that, that I bet we can't even fathom this morning. But here's what I need you to understand. For them, once they'd heard who Jesus was, and once Paul had convinced them that he was the Messiah, they realized that they couldn't live without him, right? They realized that once they figured out who he was and what he'd done and that he had defeated death and he was, and God raised him from death and, and that there was these sightings of that and Paul could say, hey, I know people that, that, that were there and saw this and experienced this and this really happened, right? And they started hearing these stories and, and, and figuring some of this stuff out. They were cut to the heart and they, I'm, I'm sure they went home and, and they, they looked at one another and they thought, this is it. This is the Messiah. He's come. And now what do we do with this? What do we do with this information? What do we do with the fact that now we know God? We know about him at least to this point. We're learning more about him. What are we going to do with this? They couldn't live their lives any other way after that. And so for us, for you, once you, and I assume most of you guys here, especially this service, I, when you realized, hey, this is it. He's, he's God. He's the son of God. Like, this is true. This is truth. What are you doing with that? Are you ready? 
are you ready for a day? Paul, Paul, we'll look here in a second. Paul said he's, he knows that one day he's going to stand before the Lord. And give an account of his life. And we'll read a little bit about that here in a second. But for you, do you do you understand? I know you do, but this is a rhetorical question. Do we really understand that one day we're going to stand before the Lord? And we're going to give an account of our lives. A big part of asking this question, are we ready, is that. Are you ready for Jesus to look at your life and say, well done good and faithful servant. Even when it got really, really tough. Even when it looked like, like there were times where you had doubts and, and you didn't know and you looked at your life and you looked at other people's lives and you looked at this crazy world that we live in and you're like, I don't, I mean, I believe, but like, God, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't sense you. I don't see you working. Like you've had, I've had, we've all had those like, those, and those, and the, when we're alone and in the quiet stillness sitting in a dark room praying and thinking sometimes those things god what what's going on you have questions you have doubts but then you realize god you you are who you say you are and so we keep going because we're preparing for his return to stand before him one day and then here's a second part of that not only are you are you waiting are we preparing for that patiently now it's not like a patient sitting in a waiting room in a doctor's office kind of just sitting there with you you know you're you're sitting on your hands just waiting to be called that's not the kind of waiting that we're called to, to wait on as christians what we're called to do is to go right and as we are going about life we should be looking at our neighbors and our friends and our family members and saying the way with the way we live our lives and the way we love them, right? Hey, there's going to be a day, not in a harsh, judgmental way, but in a way that, that would help them understand, in a way maybe that Paul would talk to people when he stood there in that synagogue. Hey, I want you to just, just know that, that someday you're going to stand before the Lord and I want you to be in heaven with me, right? I want you to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for your life. Are you ready? And are we sharing that with our neighbors and our friends and our family members? That's who these people were in, the, in this story here in second, in 1 Thessalonians 2nd chapter. It's who Paul was talking to. It's Paul, who Paul is encouraging. And so I want you guys to look at a couple of the things he says in the first part of this second chapter. Here's what he says. After Timothy's report that Paul chose, he chose to write this letter, he, he's attempting to kind of reconnect with his friends, right, here in Thessalonica. In chapter 2, he's retelling of his missionary journey with him. When you read, if, if you haven't read chapter 2 yet recently, when you read that, as you look through it even now, you'll see that he's, he's writing about the friendship that he formed with them. He's retelling some of the stories. He's saying, hey, remember when we did this, when this happened, you guys will remember. He's, he's writing this to encourage them, to remind them, to kind of set them back uh, on track. And he says this in verse two, he says, God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly, despite great opposition. And so Paul saying, Hey, you remember when we stood there in synagogue, remember when we went from, from place to place in the city and we would talk to people, even people that were hostile, even people that were like pushing back on us. Like we, God gave us this boldness and God gave us this courage to preach the good news in the middle of that opposition, in the middle of that persecution. Paul goes on to talk about how much he loved the people. This small remnant of Christians here in the city he says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Paul says that, that 
what you need to understand is that what God's going to give you through the Holy Spirit, what God's going to give you when you say, Jesus is my Lord and I'm going to follow him, he's going to give you courage. He's going to give you boldness to, to stand in the, in, in the midst of great opposition and to share his love. That's what, what, that's what he's going to do. So, so that's what you need to be practicing. And he's also going to give you this incredible love that's different than the world. And when you love people the way Jesus loved his followers and loves us, it's going to be different and it's going to, it's going to look bold and it's going to look courageous, but it's also going to be a love that the world is going to connect with. And so Paul's reminding them of that. And then here's what he does next. He gives them a glimpse into some of, of his time, or actually gives us a glimpse into some of his time in Thessalonica, what it, what it looked like. He's reminding, when he wrote this letter, I'm sure he's just reminding them, hey, remember when I was there? This happened and this happened. And you'll see this right here in verse 9. He says, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked together among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached the good news, God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witness. And so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you and we encouraged you and we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. I love this because what Paul does here is he kind of gives us um, a glimpse into what it looks like to be a, a Christian leader, the essence of, of Christian leadership. Because Paul says it's not about power or it's not about having influence. What's he say? It's about healthy relationships. It's, it's about being humble and, and serving in a loving way. Paul says that he came to love and to serve them in the name of Jesus. And what he's saying is this is how you need to treat your neighbors. This is how you need to treat the people in Thessalonica. Even those who are going to push back against you. You're going to be persecuted. There's going to be great opposition. And people are going to reject you. And life's, life's going to be different from here on out. He, he's sharing with them, hey, you've chosen a different path. And, and so some of your old ways, they're just not going to line up with this new life that you've chosen with Jesus. And so in the middle of that... What you have to understand is is that the thing that you're going to have to do is just love people and serve them. Because if you try this authoritarian press, pressure to kind of force them, it's not going to work. You can't force people to fall in love with Jesus. And so Paul says, remember how we loved you. Remember how we served you. Remember how we, how we led as examples for you. You, you lead that way. And then here's what Paul does next. He draws a comparison with the persecution that these people are experiencing. And here's what he says. Verse 14. He says, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. You're suffering, and I know you, with that riot and that crazy thing that happened when we were there, and I'm sure it's still going on now, like your friends and your neighbor, your people you thought you were your friends, right? Even family members, you're, you're suffering great persecution from them. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's church in Judea, whom because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered for their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets, and some of them even killed the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they have persecuted us too. Paul's saying, hey, we know from past experiences that when it gets bad, 
When the heat gets turned up and when people start focusing, those who, who, who reject Jesus and want to kind of push back on us, we know that, that sometimes people lose their lives. You know, it happened in, in Jerusalem. It happened with Jesus. Um, it's it's going to happen in the future. And so Paul's saying, when this persecution comes, do you know what you're potentially giving up? Do you, do you know what this may potentially cost you? Jesus was rejected and, and killed by his own people, Paul says. Paul says he has been persecuted by his fellow Jews. And he says that these Thessalonians are going to face hostility from their Greek neighbors as well. Here's what Paul seems to be doing here. He seems to be drawing a, a so it's a weird kind of strange thing that he does. But he draws some comfort, comfort from knowing that they're suffering and the way that they are participating in that is the story of Jesus's own life and death. When you read some of the, the writers in the New Testament, uh, there's this understanding that when, when they would participate in this suffering, when they would participate in this persecution, not that they enjoyed it, but that they knew that, hey, this is the mark of a true follower of Jesus. It, it, it reminds you of this. This is what James wrote in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Paul and James and a lot of the writers of the New Testament seem seem to be, not only seem to be, they suggest and they say outright that when you are persecuted, when you have to endure something that's hard, that's difficult, great. If you are suffering in the name of Jesus, great. And I know it's like when, when, when we see that or, or think about that or, or maybe feel that, it doesn't seem great. Why is it great? And what they are saying is, is that that's exactly where you need to be because in this world you're going to face persecution and opposition if you stand for Jesus it's just going to happen because it's in opposition to this world we know that this this isn't our home Paul knew he'd figured it out Silas had figured it out Timothy had figured it out some of these early Christians in Thessalonica they'd figured it out hey this isn't home anymore We are aliens in this place. There's a promise of something to come. And that's where their hope lied. And so they said, we understand that in this world, it's going to be different. Here's how chapter 2 concludes. And here's what Paul says. He says this. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. He says, this is what gives me great joy. He says, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown is that we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. It is it is you. This is what is my pride and joy, he says. You're my crown. Yes, you are my pride and joy. And here's what Paul's saying. He understood that life today is, is, is different in light of the eternity to come. He's building something here with this relationships. He's building something here with these people. He understood that that what's going on today is far less important than what is to come. The relationships that they were forming with one another, Paul said, when I stand before the Lord someday and receive my crown, it's going to be because of you guys. I'm going to be thinking of you guys. 
I have a, a pastor friend who is a mentor to me. Uh, and he'll, uh, sometimes when we're talking, uh, he'll send me a, a text or an email or a Facebook and we'll always be talking about something and, and I'm encouraging him or he's encouraging me. And he says, Hey, when, when, um, when Jesus comes back, will you stand next to me so that I can point to, uh, what I'm most proud of? And I always think that's a, man, what an incredible thing to say to someone, right? And that's what Paul seems to be saying here is that when, when Jesus comes, I want you guys to be standing next to me because you are my pride and my joy because you have done this the right way in the middle, in the midst of great opposition. Paul's vision of life centered upon people because he knew that people were God's goal. The God's goal was to redeem people. God's interested in people, and so should we be. So let me finish up, and we'll be done here. I want to give you guys a few quick things that we learned from this letter so you can take with you this morning. Here, here they are, real quickly. The first thing that we have to understand, we have to learn, is this. Following Jesus is going to produce, produce a truly countercultural way of life. It is, isn't it? All right, you guys know this. Like, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to produce a counterculture. It's going to be a different thing. It's going to be, in this world, you're going to look at this world and go, okay, everybody's going that way. They're zigging. I'm going to zag, right? Because this is the way things seem to be going, and it's going in the wrong direction direction. Jesus, you're calling me to this. So we're going to go live this way. And so if you follow Jesus, it's going to be different. It's going to have to be different. So I would ask you that question this morning. Like if you look at your life, how is it different than the world? How is it different than your neighbors that maybe aren't believers? How is it different that people in this community that you know aren't believers yet, but they live a certain way? How is your life marked in a way that there's it? How is it different in this world? Is it truly counter-cultural? Are you living a way that's different? Number two, following Jesus will sometimes generate suspicion and conflict among your neighbors, right? Paul was saying, hey, you're going to experience a lot of stuff. Like people are going to question, they're going to look at you, they're not going to talk to you anymore. They're going to like, why would, why are you acting like that? Why are you saying that? Why would you do that? Right? And so when our neighbors see us acting in these ways, it may cause suspicion. Like why would we give a bunch of money to something, right? Called the together initiative. Why would we give that to something? We don't really know who those people are or what's going Like Why would we do things like that? Why would we do love your neighbor events where we go out in our communities and set up pop-up tents like on Halloween night, just, you know, give a, give away a bunch of food and, and, and do things that like are different. Like just say, Hey, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Our church loves you. Come visit us. Come check in. Why would we do that? It looks different. Why would you live lives that are different, right? That's what following Jesus is going to cause us to do sometimes. The third thing, following Jesus will almost certainly cause persecution. Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter five. Here's what he said. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all kinds of sort uh, of sorts of evil against you because you are my followers and then what's jesus say he says be happy about it be happy about it be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven fourth thing following jesus closely will test your faith and your endurance that city riot in acts chapter 17 easily could have overwhelmed that infant church it easily could have been the end. They could have said, you know what? This is too hard. This isn't worth it. People are getting, people are, 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 are gonna, gonna die. People are getting hurt. People are mad at one another. This is, this is, this is too much. It could have ended them right there. But it didn't. It tested them greatly, but it made them stronger in the end. Following Jesus will also cause you to lose some of the things of this world. 
I would ask you this morning if in your faith in following Jesus, what does it cost you? Can you think of anything that it's cost you? When I read scripture, it seems like it, it probably should cost us some things. Not doesn't sound fun to say, hey, I'm going to lose some things. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's a lucrative business deal. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a position at work or in the community because you're just not willing to, to set your principles aside. Well, what's it cost you? To follow Jesus. And the last one is following Jesus will give you a new way to live in this world and a promise of the one to come. And so may we be, may we be a community of believers willing to risk it all, willing to risk whatever it is. God, what do you, what do you need from us? What do you want from us? What do we have to do? How far do we have to go to follow you? That's as far as we'll go. And so what is it for you? What's it cost you? And are you ready to someday stand before him and hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. And will you look to your right And will you look to your left and see a host of people who are standing there with you? And maybe God just used you in a little bitty way to influence them to be standing there too. That's what we're preparing for. That's what we need to be ready for. But there is so much work to be done in there. There There's so many lives There's so many ears that need to hear and so many hearts that need to be changed. And that's our job as the church. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, I thank you for today. Thank you for those who are gathered here in this place this morning. God, I thank you for this ancient text, this letter, this this small little letter that, that was written so many years ago to a group of people. But God, it's so powerful and it gives us so much encouragement. It gives us a glimpse, even though it was written a long time ago, it gives us a glimpse into maybe what's to come. But help us to stand firm. Help us to, 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 to stay steady. Help us in the middle of, of, of a, a world that's throwing great opposition at the church and at Christians to understand that this is so much bigger than us. That what you're doing is is incredibly powerful. Help us to be that kind of a church. Help us to be that kind of a, a Christian. God, we want to be ready. And we want all those that we know and love and are in relationship to be ready as well. So that one day we can stand before you and we can look at our great pride and our great joy and know that there are dozens Hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that will enter heaven because of what you did through a little place in Shelbyville, Kentucky. We love you. 
Thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing this song. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, Dave will be over here. If you guys have anything you want to pray about or a decision that you may need to make, we'd, we'd love to connect with you. Let's, uh, let's sing this song. Church, we sing this out together. I won't bow. Come on, we sing. And I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice. Thank you guys uh thank you guys for being here this morning oh you got the end okay all right all thanks see ya <laughs> all right here we go um for those of you who don't know me i'm dr tim lee i have the privilege of serving as an elder here at the church and i am here to uh remind all of you that october is pastor appreciation month um we got one more week for this, and what we're doing is asking three things. Um, we're asking for you to pray for our pastors, for the time, for their families, and for all they do for us. And we're also asking that you might possibly um, write a note of appreciation for them, um, drop it in the bucket this month. And uh, the third thing we're asking is that you would possibly donate a gift card for whatever you think they would enjoy. Um, we usually collect a, a variety of different things, so feel free to think outside the box on that one. But again, you can either drop it into the black box or the, the white buckets this month, which means uh, 
today or next weekend. Um, so we're just going to ask that you could do that and show these guys just how much we appreciate all they give and all they go through at work and through life to help lead us as we help lead others to Jesus. Um, other than that, I'd just like to close us in a prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together in this house of yours. We thank you for the chance to to be the church, uh, not just the place that we come on Sunday, but the place that we help spread your word, uh, whether it's through the Trunk or Treat Fall Fest, through the, the outreaches in the sports, the Bible studies, the children's missions. Uh, we thank you for all the opportunities you give us through this church. We thank you for this community we live in, and we hope that you can help us to be the, the light, your light in our world. In your name we give praise and thanks. Amen.